in order to do so, we collected reference material from the families. And sometimes those were close relatives, like children or siblings. But very often the only possible material was from distant relatives, like nieces or grandchildren. Welcome to Science with a Twist, a podcast for curious people who enjoy exploring how science impacts our daily lives. From technology that helps the fight against COVID-19 to solutions that help clean the water we drink is all thanks to science. In each episode, members of Thermo Fisher's scientific team talk to experts who are on the cutting edge of redefining how we exist. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Science with a Twist podcast, brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, the world leader in serving science. My name is Sherry Olson. I'm the Senior Director for the Products, Applications, and Services team for the Human Identification or HID Business Unit within Thermo Fisher Scientific. We develop and deliver DNA detection products that enable our customers to make the world safer. Our products help law enforcement agencies and forensic labs around the world exonerate the innocent and convict the guilty for serious crimes such as homicide and sexual assault, while also aiding in humanitarian missing persons victim identifications. And today's story, It Was Science with a Twist podcast, is a story just about that. We will hear a story about a humanitarian victim identification. Our guest today is Dr. Marta Diepenbroek. Marta is a postdoc at the Institute of Legal Medicine, ILM Munich in Germany. She transferred there from six years at a Polish university where she was studying forensic methods used in DVI or disaster victim identification. She was involved in a very interesting project where she was using these forensic methods to identify victims, missing victims from totalitarian regimes in Poland. Today, Marta focuses on implementing state-of-the-art forensic technologies and training forensic labs and law enforcement. And today we welcome Dr. Marta Diepenbroek. Welcome Marta, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the introduction, Sherry, and thank you for having me. I'm very excited to share my experience with you today. Wonderful. Can you give us a little bit of background on your work and your experience in the human identification field? Yes. Yeah, so my first contact with forensics was already when I was a master's student, which was almost 15 years ago. I applied for a summer school at the Legal Medicine Institute in my hometown. And I learned that the DNA group there does not only do forensic work, but they are also involved in exhumation of the fallen soldiers from the Second World War. So with all the love I had from my early childhood, not only for biology, but also for history, already back then I knew that this is exactly what I want to do in my life. So from the very beginning, working with bones was my biggest passion. And already during my master thesis, I worked with bones and human identification. And during my PhD thesis, I explored more the identification of mass disaster victims. So for six years in Poland, I worked not only on current missing person cases, but I was also a team member of the Polish genetic database of victims of totalitarian 
Marianism. It was a humanitarian project that used the DNA mm. to identify victims of Nazi and communist regime in Poland. Wow, thank you for sharing your really diverse scientific background, Marta. Can you now share with us a little bit exactly how DNA analysis is used in identifying human remains in missing persons cases? Yeah, so in forensics, we generally use DNA from unknown remains and DNA from relatives of a missing person to compare their genetic material and to identify the victim by the name. So this is the ultimate goal in human identification process. But forensic DNA uh, methods can also bring additional information um, about the remains um, that can help with the identification. Also, when we, for example, do not have a direct reference material. For example, we can include in our DNA analysis DNA found in mitochondria or on male sex chromosome, the Y chromosome. These two provide us with more DNA markers, we call them haploid markers, and these are inherited correspondingly only in maternal or in paternal lineage. This means that we are able not only to look for very distant relatives, but we can also learn a bit more about the history uh, of the family, about the biogeographic <laughs> origin. And using such information is especially crucial when working with cold cases or historical cases. Well, thanks for walking us through uh, how forensic scientists use this type of information in human identification. And and now I want to really switch to a very interesting story that you were involved with during your studies. In August 2021, you were the lead author in a publication that used DNA to identify Jewish Holocaust victims at Sobobor in Poland. Can you describe an overview of the specific missing persons project you were involved with? Yes. So in the project of the Polish genetic database of victims of totalitarianism, we work with human remains found at different exhumation sites. And the majority of the victims were Polish partisans murdered secretly by communism regime for opposing the new post-war government. And this is how we got involved in the most interesting project, the Sobibor project. And this needs a bit more of a background. Um, Sobibor was a death camp built by the Nazis in 1942. And in contrary to better known concentration camps, like for example, Auschwitz-Birkenau, Sobibor only had one purpose. And this purpose was to mass murder the Jews. So the camp was kept secret. The people who were sent there were not sent there to work. They were sent directly to gas chambers. And it is estimated that over 180,000 people were murdered in Sobibor. A small group of prisoners organized a revolt in the camp, which led over 300 prisoners to escape. As an aftermath, the Nazis destroyed the camp, torn it to the ground, leaving no traces behind. And therefore, little was known about the camp. And archaeological work was carried out there for years in order to learn more about this place. And during field work, archaeologists uncovered unexpected intact uh, skeleton burials. It was a very surprising discovery because according to all the available testimonies, all the Jewish victims in the camp were cremated. So both archaeological and historical analysis of this discovery led to a hypothesis that the remains may actually belong to Polish partisans 
killed secretly by the communist regime in the 50s. And it was assumed that they just used the former Nazi camp to hide the bodies. Therefore, the remains were sent to the Polish genetic database of victims of totalitarianism that we could carry the identification of the remains. And this process of DNA analysis involved the already mentioned before haploid markers. And the remains were extremely degraded. So in order to carry out this analysis, we established a collaboration with the Institute of Legal Medicine in Innsbruck. And together with them, we analyzed mitochondrial genomes and Y chromosome. And this analysis shed new light on the remains because we discovered that both maternal and paternal lineages of the remains were very untypical for Poland, but they can be found among modern Ashkenazi Jews. So thanks to the DNA, the truth about the discovery was revealed that we found Jewish Holocaust victims. And the results were published last year in Genome Biology. Since then, our paper had already 5,000 accesses. Wow, that's super impactful. And thanks for providing the great detail of how forensic DNA methods were important to this victim identification. However, it seemed like this project involved many other different fields of science to come together to help make the identifications. Can you give us some insight to your experience with this? Yes, yeah, so Sabibor project, we had scientists from many different fields involved. So we had specialists from archaeology, history, anthropology, and finally us forensic scientists. And what we achieved together shows how all of these sciences, even if potentially a bit distant, completed and helped each other. So the remains would never be found if it was not thanks to the archaeological work carried out in the camp. But the truth about their identity would not be discovered if it was not thanks to the DNA analysis. So we need sciences like history to build initial hypotheses. We need science like anthropology to learn more about the remains. But we also need science like for, sciences like forensic science, which is able to give answers which no other field can. So the information about the identity of the remains. Mm. Yeah, it really does show how science and, and history intersected in this particular project. DNA really was the issue that brought everyone together, but how common is it really for to work with all of those different fields when working on missing person cases involving DNA identifications? Well, lately technology has progressed and also have the methods to analyze DNA from human remains. And, and there are more and more examples where DNA is used to shed light on historical cases. Both scientific and non-scientific communities are aware that ancient DNA can provide answers about the history of mankind on others or, or other species. But I think that this is not typical that people connect forensic science with projects like Sobibur. So most of the time, forensic DNA analysis brings to mind solving crimes. But forensic science has way more to offer. So yes, we do solve crimes, but we can also solve uh, missing person cases, even if they are more than 80 years old. Because the power of forensic DNA analysis is that we can identify the victim despite how much time has passed. Have you been able to make actual individual identifications and help re reunite families with this particular project? 
Yeah, so the investigation and the identification of, of those remains found in Sobibor were led by the Institute of National Remembrance in Poland. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it was initiated with the hypothesis that the remains are of Polish partisans. And if this was the case, we would try to identify them by looking for their relatives, by collecting DNA from the relatives and performing comparative DNA studies. However, when our DNA analysis suggested that the remains were of the Jewish Holocaust victims, the corresponding authorities immediately made the decision that the remains have to, the remains have to be reburied. Because it is very important to, to remember mm. that the Jewish burials should not be disturbed. And our scientific discovery made it obvious that the remains have to be returned to peace. So they were buried again at the place of the discovery in a ceremony led by a rabbi, according to the Jewish rite. And our study brought answers that we did not expect. And it was very important to act accordingly when we made the discovery. So it would be absolutely fantastic to identify the victims by their names. But this would, of course, require extended DNA analysis, which would raise some ethical concerns. And we are just very happy that the work we did already was able to bring some answers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What an investigation. You know, are, with your background, you've done other work in victim identification. Have you identified other historical remains using DNA from some of your other projects? Yes, so overall, in the whole project of the Polish genetic database of victims of totalitarianism, we had over 1,000 bone samples, and they were collected from many different war victims. We had underground activists, but we also had civilians, like also children or infants. And thanks to comparative DNA analysis, we were able to identify over 100 of them. And in order to do so, we collected reference material from the families. And sometimes those were close relatives, like children or siblings. But very often the only possible material was from distant relatives, like nieces or grandchildren. But despite the kinship between the victim and the family member, despite the fact if the family member knew the victim, all of those cases had one thing in common. So all of those reunited relatives were deeply touched with the identification. Wow, Marta, such uh, interesting stories on missing persons projects. Are you involved now on any current projects that you're working on today? Yes, so I am very excited to work on a new project which introduces DNA analysis where it was never used before. Together with colleagues from the Association for the Recovery of the Fallen in Eastern Europe and the Institute of Legal Medicine in Innsbruck, we are now working on introducing for the first time the state-of-the-art forensic science to identification of war victims in Germany. Around 5 million German soldiers died during the Second World War, and until now, over 1 million of them is still missing. Germany has long struggled with the burden of guilt for the acts of war, but has never stopped the identification of the fallen soldiers. And even though lots have been done to find the missing, the methods used to identify them did not change since the beginning of the war. So still 
an ID tag is decoded and used as a primary identification method. And the field work shows that those ID tags are mostly missing or destroyed and that the remains remain anonymous. So we are now implementing not only a common forensic DNA typing methods, but also the modern mm -hmm. DNA phenotyping to aid the process of the identification. And our aim is to build in the future genetic database and introduce a routine DNA-based identification of the fallen victims. Wow, advancing forensic science in new ways. So Marta, thank you for your contributions to such an important and impactful project to our global society. And your forensic background was critically important to this part of the project. But I'd also like to know from your personal experiences working on this project while living in both Poland and Germany, what was it really like working on the Sobibor project? So, as I mentioned at the beginning, I was only a master's student when I attended my first exhumation of war victims. And later, during my PhD studies, I was I attended plenty of them and I was involved in the process from the very beginning. So from the discovery of the remains at the site through archaeological and anthropological work on the remains until the bone work done in the lab. And the very first case I worked on concerned the fallen soldiers from the Second World War. Later, with my colleagues from Poland, we identified both civilian and military Polish victims from communist and Nazi regime. And then we got to the Sobibor project when, where our DNA analysis really shed light on the Jewish Holocaust victims. So as you, men as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Poland. I live and work in Germany. And for me personally, but I also think for all of us, especially here in Europe, the aftermath of the Second World War is still very much present. And mm -hmm. what I learned after all of those years working with missing person cases is that the thing that really matters is the identification of the victims, is the closure given to the families. And this has been done to all of the victims despite how much time has passed. Because we really just need to need to remember how awful the war is and what the damage it brings, especially these days. Wow, Marta, thank you so much for your time today and joining us for this very important scientific story that brings awareness to a historical tragedy that just took place two generations ago. It is estimated that 11 million people, 6 million of Jewish descent were killed during the World War II, during the Holocaust. If any viewers are interested in learning more about DNA technology used in forensics for missing persons identifications, you can visit us at thermofisher.com forward slash HID. Thank you, Marta. I want to thank you for your time today. And thanks to our guests for tuning in to another episode of Science with a Twist. We will see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Science with a Twist. This show is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, the world leader in serving science. If you enjoyed this episode, then follow Science with a Twist wherever you get your favorite podcasts.